Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Or, yeah, welcome again. To all of you, I'm Dr. Pat, and you're probably listening to this on the Dr. Pat Show and probably on our new segment or a new show, Power Up Radio. And so this is part two for those of you that have previously been listening. And by the way, just so you know, our phone lines are open, 1-800-930-2819 if you'd like to weigh in. You know, the most important thing in the last hour we did is, you know, when we talk about scapegoating mental illness, it's really a disservice in honoring the people that have lost so many lives. And as we started the last segment, we're starting this one in honor of all those lives that have been lost in, you know, both Ohio and in Texas, those families, it's hard to imagine, you know, many of us have lost people uh, through tragedy, through brutal attacks, through suicide. And that's why the four of us are here today. But here's the question. While we spent the first hour talking quite a bit about what mental illness is and what it isn't, and you know, as I, I quoted from the president of the American Psychological Association, we're not gonna go there this hour. This hour, we're gonna talk about what part of terror doesn't Washington, D.C., and that's a, that's a generalization for anybody that's representing you wherever you are. What part of terror don't they understand? And the reason we're, we're talking about this is for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, in my study of leadership, there was a very interesting question that I got to ask myself in, in a doctoral program. Uh, actually, I had a faculty member, she was brilliant. And the question really was this, do we think, and this is not today's show, but this was the question, do we think that the attack on the World Trade Center and all the other associates, do we think that would have happened without Osama bin Laden being the man that he was. So today it's a conversation about what fuels terror and what role do our leaders play and what role do they play in silence and much more. But in the world we live in, we're not silent. Those of us that work with women, we're not surprised at the shift in lawmaking in Washington, DC. And if you see all those women sitting around, uh, there's a reason. So today, I want to introduce you to several people who are here for a reason about this topic. And I want to go around, uh, and I, I, I think what I want to do is, uh, I think I want to start with you, Gina, first. Uh, Gina Farrar, I want to start with you. Uh, long opening to a show that we're going to talk about a lot of things, but the question really is about terror. And from your perspective, why is this an important topic? Where do you see this conversation and for yourself? And also, you're a fabulous radio host as well. And so how do you see this conversation to a point of understanding or not? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a very complex issue. 
to be mm-hmm. honest, Dr. Pat. And I don't think there's an easy answer to it or we would have found it already. Yeah. So I think the complexity that, that I focus on really has to do with the psychology of terrorism. You know, there is, when you talk about any kind of cult, any kind of group mindset where you get this group think that goes towards something negative, you're right. Leadership is imperative to that issue. So just like we have a leader that we follow, it's it's like boiling a frog, right? They don't start in boiling water. They right. put the frog in cold water and slowly turn up the heat. So when when I think about terrorism and we talk a lot about gun control and all of these like frontline issues, there's something that has happened 10, 12 steps back that really started the ball rolling. We're seeing the giant ball at us, but there's something else that's happened where leadership has taken their influence, their power, and very powerful tactics to begin to shift people's minds by degrees until they associate so much with what that leader wants them to associate with that they'll do anything to be a part of that idea, that movement, or whatever. So to me, that's a harder thing to solve, but it really does come down to the psychology that's happening way before the terrorism ever took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as we discovered after, you know, a panel discussion on, you know, bin Laden, right. Uh, to this day, there are some that say there probably will never be, I, it's hard to call him a leader, but he was right. There, it's hard to, some people think that he was your, he was irreplaceable. You weren't going to replace him because his tentacles and his influence on people were so deep. And then again, we're seeing that now in two or three ways. And I wanna ask you, Dr. Frieda and you, Michael, the way you just talked about is through leadership. The other way is through silence. What do you think, Dr. Frieda? I think that- uh, Dr. Frieda Birnbaum, everybody. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Always a pleasure. Uh, I think this is so important for people to know that this person who maybe set the pace of being a leader uh, was really uh, going ahead and doing something that other people wanted to do. And you know, it's called the group mindset where people hide behind uh, different faces. So that's why it's caught on fire on the website. They don't have to identify themselves. So he did the work for them, but let's not kid ourselves. There are so many other people copying him and behind the scene, he had a son also who wanted to become a leader. So killing him and killing anybody else like him will not take out the fire. Uh, We have to be able to go to the core of the problem and take care of these countries. I hate to say this, we've gone way too global with helping everyone instead of giving them seeds to plant, we've given them a plant that was a huge mistake and teach them and learn and, and educate them through their religions, through their communities, how to have what they want. They need money to survive. They need to a way to have a civilized life. The, the dictators that are running the show, all these things uh, that are threatening their lives, they're out of control. And when they can have this, when they can have the freedom of speech, uh, when they can have a good economy, uh, when they can have the the way of looking at religion, not of hate of other people, but this group mindset of being well, 
rather than being negative, then we're on the right path and we won't have these terrorists that are going ahead and running the show. So what happened with him will continue happening with other people because it was just a fuel that was waiting to be flamed and on fire. And it was just a matter of time that caught us off guard. And we really have to make sure that being off guard is never ever going to happen to us again and not being re too relaxed because there's so many of him around that we need to have conversations like this going all the time in different ways of learning how to protect our country. For sure. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Frieda. Michael, how about you? Okay, I'm Michael Messerupi. I'm an attorney and business owner. Um, leadership. Throughout every stage of our life, you know, uh, being Americans and going through the educational system. There's always a leader. There's a leader, there's a teacher, there's a captain of the football team, so on and so forth. Um, maybe as Americans, we have an appreciation for following leadership. Now, leadership has its limits. When you're getting into an environment where the leaders actually bring you down a dark path, I mean, look, from Charles Manson to uh, David Koresh, to even just the other day with the sex cult, Nexum, um, you're taking people that are fragile and then you're influencing them. So Osama bin Laden was uh, a charismatic individual, very wealthy, very well connected for all intents and purposes. He was hiding in Pakistan the entire time. Um, so, I mean, that type of leadership was government sponsored leadership in all candor. Um, but that motivation or that specific role of that leader particularly um, was maybe a little bit more successful. But after Osama went down, you had Zarqawi right behind him. I think the key issue here, and it's funny that I'm not a psychologist, but those people are fragile individuals that are reaching out for something. So maybe if they were in America, they may be mass murderers, but overseas, they're reaching for something. They want to become part of something. Now what happens? They find a charismatic leader and they follow them down a dark path. And even in this country, don't go too far. And I know it's, this is gonna be a stretch to call it terrorism, but hazing and fraternities. These kids influence one another with bad leadership from the top and they make them do ridiculous things. And it's that crowd mentality. You know, the leader doesn't have to be that charismatic, but once he, he strikes that match, you know, it's really hard to put out the fire. You know, one of the things I want to talk about is this, because we're really on to it. And I want to go back to Eugenia about this. One of the things, let's just talk about, let's just talk about some of the leaders we, we've known across centuries. You know, some would say they have one thing in common, you know, leaders that have influence over people. I'm not talking about leaders that come in and they follow the rule book. I'm talking about leaders that are outside of the box so much. Churchill was one of them, for example. But there's one thing they all have in common, and they have this thing in common. And this is the one thing that I want to ask you about, because whoever owns the power over this has the ability to influence millions and millions of people. And that is this thing. Each of them, by their own right, are successful orators. That means that if you give them a microphone, look out. And half the time, nobody around them knew what they would say. 
Churchill, Hitler, enormous, right? Orator, Did, never believed in the written word. As a matter of fact, uh, there, there's, a, there's a writing by Hitler where he says, I know that men are won over less by the written, written word than by the spoken word, and that every great moment on earth talks about uh, is for the great orators or something like that and not the great writers. So I want to ask you about that. Here we are in the world of give me a microphone. Everybody can have it. Social media, Twitter is a massive mic. I want to ask you, Gina, what is your sense of this? Because these speeches, these comments, these words seem to be captivating many. I absolutely agree. Um, your point about social media, the challenge with social media and anything technology driven is now our voices can be heard around the world. For example, when I post my podcast, I'm immediately heard in over 60 countries around the world. Yeah. And I can see the countries that are picking it up. And I don't know these people, but I am telling them something that I believe in and they're choosing to listen. So there's this whole idea of when you have someone who has that powerful skill of speech, they have that powerful um, skill of crafting words. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. I mean, he was able to unify people with that. Now that was for good. But like you're saying, it's that powerful oration that gives them the power to say the words they know will move the hearts and minds of men and women. It's that ability to know what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, what the key issue is at the moment, because it's really about keeping their finger on the pulse of where the heat is, right? Where the heat is in the fire in those people's heart or where the fire is lacking in those people's heart. So when you talk about that power of oration, I completely agree. But now we have technology that can kind of compound that power of oration and it can be around the world in nanoseconds. And, you know, let's talk about this. When we talk about speaking and oration and public speaking, uh, these folks that are out there, they do more persuasive speeches than your average leader. Let's talk about that. The question is this, is there a reason that people listen and what is the consequence and the benefit if people do listen? Michael. Okay, well, you have to think of it this way, like some of the most magnificent people in in our society, in our culture, in our history, as you mentioned earlier, you know, give that impactful speech. Um, Hitler, you know, again, just to pull it out of the past, was one of the most charismatic individuals with the speech. 5,000 speeches. The revelry associated with his speeches. And I believe once with the pounding on the table and the passion, in recent times, you can think of Hugo Chavez, I smell sulfur in the air at the UN. He yeah. No one can remember anything that any politician from any country said in the UN other than Colin Powell with the WMDs in Iraq and Chavez with the I smell sulfur. So we as a society need visual stimulation. Um, but even go back historically, all of these leaders, Churchill had an enemy that he could polarize the people against, which were the Germans. Um, Stalin, Germany, again, you know, magnificent speakers. There's something about the rush, the adrenaline, and also the crowd mentality. When you're in one of those environments, it's you feed off of the feeling of excitement, enthusiasm, and adrenaline from the others that are there. When I think it was, and I, it was horrible, and I'm quoting Hitler, but 
I think it was Goebbels. Um, he said, if you can give me a small movie screen inside everyone's house, I can control the world. I mean, in, in essence, we're watching a small movie screen in our house. Yeah. Probably half a dozen in everyone's houses. We're all subject to that influence. So again, it's not going to be as impactful as being there and experiencing it and smelling it and giving all those senses. But we get that influence every day for four to six hours a day. And, you know, th this is part of the conversation, too, that uh, I want to get to back to you, Dr. Frida, and then back to you, Eugenia. And it's this. When we have these orators, let's say, let, let's just say these are people that can give you the message in a punch. It doesn't have to be a long one. It could be short. It could be a tweet. It doesn't have to be long. But the point is it comes at you. And it lasts in your consciousness. Here, here's the question. And I read this quote the other day. If you tell some, if you tell a lie over and over and over again, I, I don't know, something like that. But we are in a world right now where folks are not really hearing, discerning truth. And so this is one of those places that is so pivotal. We're at a crossroads in the United States, at least, in looking at how we determine what the truth is. And Dr. Frieda, I want to ask you this, you know, don't we align ourselves to that which we want to believe? Like you said before, if you're part of this group that has not gotten any attention at all for the past 15 years and have felt down a court and not taken care of, and then you, somebody comes along that aligns with you there is not a sense of hope, but there's now a new sense of confidence. What is your take on that? And then, Gina, I'd love to hear from you. A hundred percent right. You know, we, why are we talking about Hitler today? Because he was the six million people mass destruction here with the words. And uh, he used cheerleaders to uh, copy them for propaganda. He liked the way they were... Uh, giving everybody this feeling of being united and was inspirational and positive and hope. So uh, this is something that uh, we are having today as well uh, when we're on the bandwagon, bandwagon and cheering uh, and people uh, say and behind Donald Trump and saying and, and, and applauding uh, the way he looks at the world. And, you know, Donald Trump and a lot of our leaders who are talking about what leadership roles are all about, we're talking about sociopaths. All these people, all these people, uh, 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 Obama, uh, I can't even pronounce his name, maybe for a good reason, but, you know, they're all sociopaths. They all are narcissistic. They have big egos. I'm not saying it's all negative, though. A lot of our best presidents are, uh, were sociopaths, but that is a quality uh, that we are looking at. So when you go on this bandwagon of everybody saying how wonderful everything is uh, behind them, it offsets other people to think, hey, wait a minute, maybe they're right when they see uh, these masses rallying around them, negative or uh, uh, positive, because people tend to follow. People do not, are not leaders. The majority of people want someone to tell them, and this is the dangerous part, of what's right or what's wrong. And then from that, they make up their mind. So the leaders that we choose, 
that we elect um, are going to be listened to and they're going to be followed whether you like it or not. And the question you asked is so loaded that I'm going all over the place. So if I'm really, you know, too much in uh, the uh, larger scope of things, uh, maybe I should be more detail oriented uh, with that question. So if there's something I'm missing, could you ask me that question again? No, let's go over to Gina. Let's uh, let's let's see what Gina has to say okay. here. You know, I, I focused in on one word you said, Dr. Pat, mm -hmm. and that was truth. It, it really is foundational that people even know what truth is because truth now is relative. So when someone powerful comes along, you were talking about, you know, there's a deficit in the people that they're speaking to and they know there's a deficit that they're speaking to. They know that there's someone that they can like, someone said polarize they, they need to have that opposite right we're talking about you know if if i have a deficit <clears throat> excuse me if i have a deficit in me and someone comes along and they say just the right words at just the right time i'm going to be inclined it doesn't solve anything the things that i'm working through in my mind but the reality is speaking truth we have the power in this talk show the four of us together to talk about truth and to be a voice for truth so i firmly believe that while we do have powerful orators out there that are using their powers for good and for evil you know you think about nero you think about hitler you think of bin laden you think of even caesar they all used what was in their power at that time socially mm -hmm. hitler used propaganda on film he was one of the first ones i would say would use yeah. some sort of social media correct yeah yep. yeah he had he his was, own film crew he had his own film crew so he understood the power of magnifying his message so i think that the that when when we are addressing something like this we must not buy into the cultural attitude about it we need to individually be thinking through these things ourselves the power is in the one person who doesn't give in to the groupthink, the person who uses their own mind and begins to really engage the information and think, because as each person begins to engage and doesn't get drawn into that groupthink, that's where the power begins to change. Because I heard a statistic one time, it's 2% of people think, 3% of people think they think, and 95% of people don't think at all. And when you look at situations like this, it kind of supports that statistic. You have people who really want to be told where to go, what to do, and how to behave. There's, there's an actual kind of, dare I say, laziness. Sometimes we don't want to think into these difficult things. We just want it to be fixed, right? Where's the Band-Aid? And the Band-Aid sometimes comes from these evil people. They're evil. They're speaking a truth. It's not a good truth but it's speaking to people who just want some kind of restitution, right? Yeah. You think of, I deserve this. They get into that whole narcissistic, like this is, we deserve this. And then it shifts to we're better than, and then it shifts to dehumanizing other people. There's so many layers. Again, I, I feel like Dr. Frida, where it's like, I just go down this psychology bunny trail and you realize that, you know, we need to have these conversations and we need to be speaking truth to and for and in, on behalf of people then yeah. continuing to stand on truth because truth is a powerful tool just like using oration for bad or evil we can use this kind of a vehicle for good well let's talk about this and i think i'm going to even skip this mid-break benny let's talk about this 
I read an article. I, I, I mean, you're the four of us are sitting here. And sometimes I think I live in my own bubble. Linda will tell me, Pat, I think you live in your own bubble on your own planet. And, you know, it's very clear to somebody like me who looks at what just happened in El Paso for sure. We don't know enough about Dayton. We don't know enough about that. But who looks at that and every, if I'd have seen everything that was written in the manifesto, let's say, and not known who the person was and not known who the country was, right? Let's just say you strip all of that away and you look at the event itself. Is there any way in my common sense view of the world that I wouldn't call that terrorism, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I just read something from either today or yesterday that the, you know, in the United States, I, I mean, think about it. The United States FBI director uh, is having a hard time uh, confronting this as domestic terrorism, mm. right? Same issue that happened in Gilroy, California, but he's not willing to categorize it, therefore not willing to investigate it. And this is my question on what part of terror doesn't our lawmakers understand, you know, what part of that is missing in the equation? And I want to go around the table and ask that question, but there's something more glaring to me today. Uh, and I, again, I got to go back to mama. I got to go back to my mama. And I remember that the three of us girls, we witnessed an event that was, I grew up in the Bronx and we witnessed something to one of the kids on the block. And I remember we saw it, we knew who did it. The kid was badly, bad shape, and we never said anything. And I remember my mom confronting us girls about that, you know, very young. And out of everything that I got in trouble for as a kid and even a teenager, there was nothing so severe as the penalty that the three of us girls got for our silence. There was something about that that was so part of my mom's character, that silence. And she talked to us about it. And she talked about the fact that our silence doesn't make us not involved. So I want to go around and ask everybody again. Here we are. Some people are talking about this, wanting some action taken. And yet, very few people, when you think of everyone we've elected, like how many people like are in the Congress and the Senate, for something that just happened, that is so devastating, it's the sound of silence. I mean, it's deafening. What do you, what do you all think? Uh, let's start with you, uh, uh, Dr. Frieda, then we'll go uh, Michael, Gina. Well, you know, terrorism happens even if there's no terrorism happening. And what I mean by that, we have to live in fear and in desperation. And the terrorists are doing exactly what they want to do. They're getting back at us. So one thing we have to do really is live our lives and not live in terror and get back to normalcy as quickly as possible. Because when you live in the state of fear, uh, you're under some, but someone else's rule. You're not living your own life anymore, and everything is second-guessed. Uh, should I go to a public place? Should I go where there are a lot of people? 
Any more concerts? Should I keep away from the city altogether? Uh, should, I not should I not go to that exercise class? Then your definition of your life and your vitality and your energy can be drained uh, just by that as well. So we have to live our quality of life because isn't that what it's all about? It's about living your life to your fullest. And we can't let these terrorists uh, rule uh, and have this over us. So that's what terrorism in our country uh, is all about. And we have to be able to celebrate who we are and get rid of any kind of violence physically and mentally as well in our lives. Michael, how about you? I think we have to be careful when we call mass shootings terrorism. Mm -hmm. When we do that, then what we do is, is that we give the government the power to enact legislation comparable to the Patriot Act. Yep. Just stripping back our civil liberties. So terrorism on one hand is, and again, most Americans are going to equate that to international terrorism. Do we have domestic terrorism? Well, was Timothy McVeigh a terrorist? Was he a militia person? Was he just a disgruntled individual? Um, these people that are doing mass shootings, are they terrorists or are they troubled individuals that are just using this horrific act to be able to get their manifestos or their message out to someone? Um, you know, they want to get their pound of flesh, but as a society, we have to be very careful that we don't pigeonhole these people, call them terrorists, and then take away our own liberties so that we in turn, I guess in theory, in essence, become terrorized by our own government because we're asking them to fix the problem that the domestic terrorists caused in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a conundrum or an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true, Michael. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is this fine balance between, um, I guess what we would call justice, using the law to get a positive response and as well as us it's personal in using our personal responsibility because you know the definition of terrorism is actually the unlawful use of violence and intimidation especially against civilians in the pursuit of political gain so if we're going to technically talk about terrorism there's usually some kind of political thing behind it i agree with michael in that we have to be careful it's a matter of semantics they are terrorizing people, but they don't have that power. They don't have that oration. They don't have that following. It's like one act after they filled their mind with somebody else's powerful oration, somebody else's, you know, agenda. So it is a little bit different because they're taking in what these masses are taking in from Osama bin Laden or Hitler or whatever, but they're creating a movement that you can actually watch happen and you can see it moving on the world. You can see, you know, you can see certain religious groups trying to take over the world and they put pockets so that they can connect those dots and have power. Well, we have to act on that, right? We can't ignore it. Back to your silence comment, Dr. Pat. When we talk about silence, we're talking about people's desire to be comfortable and safe. And I think most people think if I don't acknowledge it, it's not going to affect me. It'll just go away. Because they have had studies show that people now will pick up their phone and video a violent act and they won't call anybody on that phone in their hand. They won't, they won't call for help. They'll watch it as if it's on television. I think Michael said we, are, we have television screens, four or five of them in our house going at all times. So when we talk about 
uh, that silence that, that you mentioned, Dr. Pat, I think it's a human, uh, we're trying to protect ourselves, but at some point we have to have courage. At some point we need to call, we need to use this powerful oration to call people to courage to speak up on behalf of the person who is being terrorized or hurt. But with that comes the risk and that's why people don't speak up. And that's what your mom understood that, you know, three of you could have done something, but you probably all thought if I do something, it'll happen to me, right? So we have that self-preservation. Again, back to what I said at the very beginning, it's such a complex thing, yeah. but I, the reason that the government has difficulty calling it terrorism is possibly because it doesn't have that volume of political gain behind it. It's like independent acts of people who are just, um, They've gotten caught up in someone's ideology and they're taking action. It, it's I've been thinking about this for days and I and it's really a complex thing. And I think that's why these conversations are good, because in the mm -hmm. gathering of good minds, Dr. Pat, we have the ability to find solutions. Well, let's get to something that shouldn't be so complicated. And but, but before we do, I want to go around and make sure that everybody has information about each of you, your websites, your radio shows, all of the above. Uh, Gina, let's start with you, if you don't mind, and then we'll go around. I, I want to make sure before the show ends that folks know how to get a hold of you or listen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I have a podcast. It's called Feminine Roadmap. It's on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. And um, it it launches every single Monday. So I'm coming up on my 100th episode. Super excited about that. The conversations that I have are really about how to navigate the challenges and changes of midlife. So I'm having a lot of heart to heart conversations and trying to empower women and men in their midlife to live their best lives. So you can reach me at um, our tribe at feminineroadmap.com. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Frida. Well, as we speak, I was just invited to the uh, Fox Hut, Neil Kabuda. I don't know who that is, show, so I'm, I'll introduce myself that way on that television show. So I am busy with TV shows and radio shows and nationally. Um, have the privilege of speaking to you, which I find extremely challenging with your, what can I tell you, your amazing questions. So uh, this really stands out in my mind and the show is so, so important to us. I hope more people listen to it uh, around the country even to hear uh, not only professional points of views because we're adding on our personal points of views. And as I'm talking to you, I can just feel it inside me, uh, the emotions about our topic and how something that can start out as just a, a word can uh, lead to destruction and killings. And we're talking about terrorizing us, uh, living in fear uh, when we work so hard to have gotten uh, where we have gotten and we live in the best country in the world. Uh, we're so lucky to be here. Uh, we don't wanna go backwards. This is very important. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Michael, how about you? Oh, thank you, Dr. Pat. I'm Michael Mesrovian. I'm from Commercial Power. Uh, we're an energy consulting firm. We help large organizations reduce their overhead and expenses. Um, really, thank you for the opportunity to be on the uh, show with you today. Thank you for allowing me to participate. So I want to get to, and we have uh, 20 minutes uh, left, and I saved it for the, the end. So the one thing that we're not talking about, and we haven't talked about in the first hour, and we, and, and we kind of skirted around in this hour is 
what is the influence of our president in all of this? So let me just read this to you. Days before the act of terror, as it's being called in El Paso, I'm reading from The Intercept. Days before, before the act of terror, the leaders of the Washington National Cathedral issued a scathing and startlingly precedent rebuke of Trump. And I'm reading this. Here's what it says. Make no mistake about it, words matter, and Mr. Trump's words are dangerous. These words are more than a dog whistle. When such violent dehumanization words come from the President of the United States, they are a clarion call and give cover to white supremacists who consider people of color a subhuman infestation in America. They serve as a call to action for those people to keep America great by ridding of such infestation. Violent words lead to violent actions. Uh, and this is a direct quote. Uh, that came before the shooting. Now, clearly, any of us that have studied anything about leadership or psychology understand the power of the leader. Why aren't we talking about that now? And why does it continue even today and yesterday? These words of hate continue. Dr. Pat, if I can jump in on this quickly. We have to remember that we're dealing with a politician, a political leader. And Donald Trump, you know, sometimes goes a little bit over the top because he's selling to his base. And his base is actually really receiving this message. Unfortunately, as Gina said earlier, you know, we keep looking to put Band-Aids on problems. And as Dr. Frieda said earlier as well, these are susceptible people. So now you have someone that's giving them a strong influence and something that they can lean on. And now what are they doing? They're taking these outrageous acts. You know, the first amendment of uh, uh, the constitution allows free speech, but that doesn't allow you, you to yell fire in a crowded theater. So, I mean, you know, we don't want to censure the president, but you know, I really wish he would have a better public relations person that maybe monitors some of the messages that he's putting out, but I don't believe it's by accident. You know, he's coming out with very strong rhetoric because he's basically selling to his base. He's exciting um, his base. And unfortunately, in that base, as with any group of people, you're going to have fragile individuals. And unfortunately, those are the ones that his message is. Thanks. Not, Thanks, gonna, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Frida. And then we'll go to you, Gina. Well, uh, if we're talking about the president of the United States, uh, he definitely does not have the finesse or the uh, political uh, appropriateness of past uh, presidents. What he has done for our country and the difference he has made is something separate. And we do need to be able to uh, dissect the differences. Now, today we're talking about hatred and violence uh, and these horrible attacks, these horrific attacks and dealing with that. And we're looking to our president today as we speak this very moment to see how can he protect us? Uh, what is he going to do for us? Uh, how is he going to take away any fear uh, that we may have? So we need a president to come out today uh, and that's not too soon, to talk about uh, calming our country, uh, taking away these hatreds, uh, words uh, from himself and from other people who are actually joining him with this and the destruction of it all. So we are looking to our president 
uh, to use a different language because his language is getting us in trouble, although he's done wonderful things for us, uh, putting that aside. He's extremely apolitical. Um, he doesn't have the uh, way of dealing uh, with the country uh, and the mindset to deal with the country uh, the way other politicians have. But then again, he is making a difference. So we do need to have the whole package from him. We're not getting the whole package. It's going rampant and he needs to uh, be able to slow things down for us. So we're waiting to see what he has to say. And hopefully he will have some words of wisdom uh, to not uh, go ahead and make these killers uh, people of distinction and to not make them look like heroes, uh, which they are not, and not give them any credit by not knowing their names, which I forget their names all the time. I guess it's symbolic here. Uh, and not giving them any identity, but giving the survivors, the victims, uh, giving them a place uh, to identify who they are and what their standards were and what their morals are. And we need to celebrate that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Gina, for you. Yeah. Yes. So Dr. Pat, the things that come to my mind are we are in such a unique point in history right now. And I'm going to, it's going to sound unrelated, but when you think about social media, we have a very celebrity driven world. You have these Insta famous people. They say, go buy this makeup brush. The whole world has to have that brush. And I feel like this is the society. Our voice is in our vote. Is it not? My ability to have an impact on the future as one person is who I vote for locally in my community and in my state and in my government nationally. So if you have a group of people who are looking for that celebrity kind of uh, personality in the, in the president, I feel, I literally feel like that's even affecting how the younger people are voting. They're not really understanding the global picture of why we why we vote for who we vote for. And there's probably people in our age group who do the same thing. We're looking again for that Band-Aid and we need to know more about who we're voting for. We need to understand the implications of who they are. I agree with Dr. Frieda that Trump has had his good things. He's had his bad things. He is a celebrity. He's a businessman. He's not a politician. Again, you know, to Michael's point, he's not necessarily polished. He's kind of a loose cannon because he's used to using that as his tool to get the impact that he wants, right? He's, he's all about that sort of thing. So without damning him or damning other presidents, if you look over history, it has changed so dramatically in the mm. last 20 years, how we, how we as a culture vote for our presidents, what we expect them to do. The president has a job to do, but so do we, Dr. Pat. We can't just Put someone in office and expect them to fix everything. It just doesn't work like that. We yeah. have to be thinking active participants in the solutions in our lives as well. Well, I'm going to take off my doctor hat and I'm going to bring together my 25 years of human resources experience to explain my perspective. And this is in honor of every HR employee that ever had to fire another employee for racial slurs, for telling people to go back where they came from. Mm -hmm. It's 25 years in HR, the 1964 Civil Rights Act and a host of other civil rights acts would say, first and foremost, 
Donald Trump is not a celebrity, he is the president of the United States and a government employee. And any, any government employee, let's just start there. Any government employee, I don't care who you are, you know if you're listening to this show, you know right now that you've lost your job because of something you said, not even at work, in a bar. Maybe a sexual harassment comment that you made to a woman that talked about how she looked. Or maybe a comment you made for somebody being too dark. You know you lost your job. Or maybe it's you that is standing on the edge of what discrimination is. Or maybe you're an attorney, like the many attorneys I work with, you know, or have worked with in the past. Or maybe I've sat in court and represented a company, right? Are these strong evidence of a hostile work environment? Because first and foremost, I didn't vote for a celebrity. If in fact I vote for the presidency of the United States and my Congress people, they are government employees. And so here's the question for all of us. If we are going to hold the leader or all of the leaders, all everyone that we have voted for that are now government employees and anyone else that's a government employee, if we are not going to hold them to the same standard, we hold somebody that works a 60-hour work week and goes paycheck to paycheck, then we are really out of line in general. And if you look at this a little bit closer, national origin discrimination involves treating people unfavorably because they are a particular country, a particular part of the world, ethnicity uh, or accent, or because they appear to be a certain background. This is EEOC regulation. This is what I'm here to talk about for the moment. Mm. So putting Twitter aside, putting social media aside, mm -hmm. if this were any other government employee that is sitting across an employee, maybe as a manager, maybe you're the leader, and you look at one of your people of color and you say, I think you should go back to where you come from, you are gone in a nanosecond. Now let's switch gears, everybody, as a sanity check. Is that just for government employees? No. I didn't work for a government employee, or at least I didn't work for a government employee for uh, up about, uh, I'd say eight years, worked in that environment. But I worked in a different sector. I worked in the phone company. And I will tell you, as working in HR and being working very closely to anything to do with diversity management, if you even look sideways, you had a lawsuit. If you even did something that was absolutely in contribution of a hostile work environment, <clears throat> you were gone. So that's my comment about this, because we are forgetting something very important. Mm. This is not Celebrity Apprentice. We are not contestants in a reality game. This is our government. They are government employees. We pay taxes. And I'm not just talking about Republicans here. I'm talking about everybody that puts on that suit or that outfit and goes to Washington, D.C. And here in my state, the state of Washington, you all have gone to sleep. I don't know where you all are. Uh, 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 Patty, where are you? Hello? Anybody home here in Washington state? That's just me. Who wants to weigh in on that? I absolutely, absolutely love what you said, Dr. Pat, because it is absolutely true. The level of accountability is so different for you and I than it is for our government officials. And how do we solve that problem? You know what I mean? 
the impeachment process takes forever. There's all of these like checks and balances that keeps them protected. At least from our standpoint, it feels like you're right. You could say one thing wrong. I was in management with a company and I had to deal with a situation like that where something was said, it was twisted and it became a problem. And I had to manage that. Right. Yeah. And you understand that this, this is people's livelihoods yet. Like you say, you have someone yeah. who has a voice who gets to have free reign to say, but Gina, let me ask you this question. Yes. I don't buy that impeachment process takes forever. I, I don't buy that. Know. Listen to why. Because you you and I worked in this, right? We yes. worked in the environment where when something happened, we never said, oh, my God, the legal process is going to take forever. We shouldn't hold them accountable. I mean, we didn't say that. I agree. We, we didn't go like, oh, my God, it's going to like take forever. <laughs> no, we said you you violated a civil rights law it doesn't matter how many lawyers you get or how many we it doesn't matter and this idea of not taking action do you know what that does anybody that's been in any kind of michael you're probably waiting to jump on this but anybody that's an attorney you know that prosecutors careers are made from whether or not they're going to charge somebody or not and so we are looking at a situation where the time it takes to impeach or barbecue or whatever you, it, it doesn't matter. I if agree. it were you and me, mm -hmm. it wouldn't matter how long, would it? Michael, no. you guys, what, what do you think on that? Executive immunity. So <laughs> the president or a politician acting within the scope of their employment can do things that a normal person can't do. And they're completely immune to it. So, uh, us as citizens, we waive the privilege of having a distasteful person or someone that uses coarse language or someone that leans in one direction for political gain, for things that a normal person would get terminated, fired, and probably blackballed from just about any industry that they're in. <laughs> and we waive the privilege of really kind of complaining about that when you cast your vote. I mean, the thing is in this country, we need to make more people enfranchised in the process. People need to understand on common sense what they're voting for and what that vote entitles them to. And in Mr. Trump's case, what that vote provides him from, um, I'd say from an immunity perspective. So, I mean, when a president does get in and look, a lot of the things that he's saying, it's not done by, this, uh, done by accident, it's done by design. I mean, he's dumbing down a lot of his message toward a particular group. Now look, financially, I'm very fortunate that Trump's tax cuts are beneficial for me economically. Morality, the ethics of a lot of the message that he's giving out is not really geared toward me because I'm not the person that's his primary base. But economically, it's been great. You know, don't go too far. It's not just Trump. Obama was a skilled orator, and he did an excellent job in being able to communicate. Granted, it was a little bit of a different message he was doing. So, yeah, and you know, you're right about it. But he, but here's the reality. I mean, every time you can open up a news a news feed, what you're going to read is, for example, California hospital settled lawsuit for nearly one million after Filipino Americans say they were told to go back to the Philippines. Hello, right? I mean, this is really at one level what's happening. And at another level, a different standard. So you're, you know, Michael, what you're saying is it's much more complex than that. You know, Gina, what you're saying, yeah, 
impeachment takes long, but the beginnings of a the beginnings of holding justice, no matter where you are in this country, it takes forever. I waited five years for my car accident to be settled. Uh, I want to jump over, and I know we're running out of time. Dr. Frieda, last words. Wow, so much to say. You know, when we're talking about being racist, what does that mean? Uh, when he said, go back to your country, uh, did that mean he was targeting a certain race? Or was it anybody that he would have said that to? You have to be very careful because our, our president represents us, represents our country. And when we're saying something about him, uh, what do the other diplomats say about us? And are weakening our stands? Because up to now, we really held up our leaders in our, for our country. So that's a whole different way of looking at it than this discussion has opened itself up. Because impeachment is also something that we're, we're, t we're saying we're going to get rid of a person that's in control now. And when we're doing that, who's going to take over his place? And is that somebody that we're going to uphold as well? So yes, we have to look at what we say about this president because it's true. Uh, he does not have a way of supporting uh, our democracy in the, in the way that we're comfortable with. But we also have to see what are the implications when we are putting our president down, because then we're putting our country down as well. And then we are weakening our stance globally. So we have to look at the whole big picture as well, rather than just identifying the words that he's using. But that is separate than this terrorism. When we're talking about immigration, we're talking about not letting people in. Is that better for our country? Or is that worse for our country? That's a whole different topic for discussion as well. So we have to really dissect what the meaning of freedom for our country is today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you all. Let's just go around really quickly. We have about a minute. Please give people your information and thank you for today. And, you know, more questions and answer. But thank you for the conversation as well. Uh, Gina, go ahead first. All right. My uh, website is www.feminineroadmap.com. You can also find me at Gina underscore R underscore Farrar on Instagram. Michael, go ahead. Um, Michael Mesrogian, www.commercialpowerllc. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Commercial Power. Dr. Frida? www.drfrida.com. I'm, I'm on Twitter and YouTube. As I said, I'm writing for, to a Fox show after this. I'm so happy I was able to get this in because this was very important to me. And thank you so much for your time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.